Church family, I invite you to open up in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. We'll be in verses 1 through 18 today. Genesis chapter 13. The title of our message is Walking with Eyes of Faith. Genesis chapter 13. Read from God's Word. You follow along in your copy as I read. This is the Word of God. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with him, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look. From the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of God for his church today. Heavenly Father, would you be with us as we spend some time studying your holy word? God, would you open up our hearts to receive your truth and to be changed by it? In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you like to walk around with your eyes closed? Anybody like to do that just for the fun of it? My kids like to do that. I don't know why. Maybe, maybe you've had kids that like to do that. They think sometimes it's the greatest thing to either close their eyes or put a blanket over their head and just take off running through the house. It's funny for about a second and then bam, right? They hit the wall, hit the sofa, trip over some toys. That's what happens when you run through the house with your, with your eyes closed or a blanket over your head. Now, I've learned after about the first time that they did that, um, at the first time I went, what is going on? And then after that, I've learned, just bypass the questioning and go ahead and say very loudly, be careful, you're going to get hurt. 
I've said that more than once as I see a blanketed child run across the living room. Unfortunately, some people think that walking by faith means that you have to walk around with your eyes closed. I mean, after all, faith is believing in what you can't see. So it's walking around blindly, right? Well, not exactly. That's a misunderstanding of what faith is. Faith is trusting in what you can't see. That is true. That, 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 that is what faith is. You're trusting in something that you can't see right there with your physical eyes. But it's not trusting in something that you can't know. It's not trusting in just the unknown. When we walk by faith, we're trusting in what we know to be true based on what God's word has said, what God's word says, what it's told us, what God has told us in his word, instead of trusting what we see with our sin-stained eyes. Let me put it this way. Walking by faith does not mean that we walk around blindly. In fact, I think God's word teaches us that walking by faith means that we actually get to walk around with our eyes open. The difference between walking by faith and not walking by faith is that when we walk by faith, we're walking with a different set of eyes. We're walking with a different set of eyes. We're still seeing, but now as we walk by faith, we're seeing life from God's perspective. We're seeing life from from God's perspective of what he has told us in his word, his commands, his promises, his warnings. We're seeing life and filtering it all through his word. We're seeing with a new set of eyes. We're seeing with eyes of faith. And that's what it means to, to walk by faith or to live by faith. Church, in Genesis chapter 13, we learn that when we walk by faith, we make choices based on what God has said rather than what our eyes can see. And by eyes, I mean our our physical eyes, just what we see around us. When we walk by faith, we make choices based on what God has said. So where do we know? How do we know what God has said? We look in his word. This is how we know what God has said. He has said it and it doesn't change. We make choices based on that rather than on what we see with our physical eyes. In chapter 12 of Genesis, to catch us up, give us a little background so we know the context, we learn that God called a man named Abram to leave his country and his kindred and his father's house to go to a land that God said, I'll show you when you get there. I'll show you when you get there. God also made Abram some very great promises in chapter 12 that we don't want to forget about. God promised to give him a land. God promised to make his name great, to make him into a great nation, to bless him, to provide protection for him, and to bless all the families of the earth through him, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, that that promise to bless all the families of the earth, don't forget about that. That means that the promised deliverer that God promised back in Genesis chapter 3 is going to come through Abraham's descendants. Now, Abraham had faith in God's promises and he obeyed God. He left all that he knew and he followed God's call. When we got to the land later on, we learned that there was a famine. He made his way down to Egypt to try to escape the famine. And there we found out that Abraham was not a perfect man. And uh, and you can go back and remind yourself of that in chapter 12. And yet we see that even though Abraham wasn't perfect, God still blessed him. God showed him great grace and God blessed him materially with physical wealth. And we'll talk about that today. So this is where the story picks up. Abram is now leaving Egypt with his wife, Sarai, and we learn that he also has a lot with him. Now, remember, uh, Sarai is barren. She can't have children. And that's important with the promises that God has made to Abram. And then there's this guy named Lot. 
Remember, Lot is Abram's nephew. Lot's dad, Abram's brother, Haran, died. And so Lot now is kind of, kind of taking up uh, life with Abram, and he's traveling with his uncle Abram. Now, in this passage, we see a contrast put forth between Abram and his nephew Lot. We want to be comparing these two individuals as we look at Genesis chapter 13. We see both of them in this passage lift up their eyes and look. But Lot, we'll see, looks just with his physical eyes. As we see, they're sin-stained. All of our eyes are sin-stained apart from God. While Abram, he looks up and he sees through eyes of faith. He looks with eyes of faith. And what we see is that when we fail to look with eyes of faith, eyes that are trusting in the good news that God has provided through his promise of salvation with Jesus, then we're actually walking with our eyes closed and we need to be warned. When we're not looking with eyes of faith, we need to be warned. Watch out. Be careful. You're going to get hurt. As we walk through Genesis 13 and we learn that walking by faith means making choices based on what God has said rather than what we can see with our eyes. I want to share with you four key truths today that I believe arise from this text. And they're they're truths uh, revolving around this this thought of of living with eyes of faith. That's my desire for you today as we look at this passage um, that, that we would live each and every day living with eyes of faith. What does that mean? Well, first, let me give you let me give you the first thing. Living with eyes of faith means seeing the necessity of dependence upon God, regardless of material wealth. Living with eyes of faith means seeing the necessity of dependence upon God, that that is necessary. It's it's essential, regardless of how much material wealth we have in our lives. See, in verse 1, we learn that Abram leaves Egypt with his wife and Lot, go, and Lot, and he goes into the Negev. Now, that's the land between Egypt and the land of Canaan, where Abram's supposed to be. They go into that land in between, and he takes with him all that he has. You see that, that phrase there? Verse 2 says that, uh, then goes on to describe all that he had. But he said he takes all that he has. Well, how much does he have? Verse 2. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he leaves Egypt taking with him all of this wealth. All of this wealth. Now let me go ahead and just pause for a second. Because it's easy in our fallen state for us to sit here and go, well, that's not talking about me because I'm not very wealthy. Let me just tell you, you might not be the wealthiest person on the planet, but every person in here is far wealthier than most of the people on this planet. Okay? So... This applies to us, and we'll see it applies to everyone, regardless of our level of material wealth. But let me ask you, thinking about Abram leaving Egypt, and he has all of this wealth. I mean, the text says he not just was rich, he was very rich. That word's there in the Hebrew. It means great wealth, very rich. What is the temptation whenever we have material wealth? What is the temptation? The temptation is always to place our hope in our stuff. That's what our temptation is. And that temptation arises whether we have a little or a lot. 
is to place our hope in our stuff, to worship and serve and bow to our possessions, to trust in what we can see with our eyes and hold in our hands. And don't you think that this would have been a temptation at this point in Abram's life? I think it would have been easy for Abram to say, all right. It looks like the Lord has made good on at least part of his promise. Remember, he said he was going to bless me. This is, this is part of the blessing, and it was. This was part of God's blessing in Abram's life, the part of becoming a great nation. But it would have been easy for him to say, looks like I've got now all that I need, plus some extra for retirement. I don't need God anymore. See you later, God. Now, he might not would have said those words. But it would have been very tempting to live with that attitude. We might not say those words. But I think if we're honest, we find it tempting sometimes to live with that attitude. To live thinking, I don't need God right now at this point in my life. That's what happens when we fix our eyes on material wealth. With material possession always comes the temptation to find our rest and our satisfaction and our security for the future in those material things. But Jesus warned us against that. Jesus warned us about the danger that comes with material wealth and viewing that wealth not through eyes of faith, but through our sin-stained physical eyes. Think about what Jesus said. He said how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And and Jesus also said you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Listen, it wasn't wrong that Abraham had this material wealth. Again, this was part of God's blessing in his life. But that came with a temptation. It wasn't God tempting him. It's Abraham's heart. It's in our heart that we would be tempted To say, I'm good. I have what I need. My future is secure. I don't need God. It's a test of faith in Abram's life. Will he continue to live in dependence upon God? Will he see his material wealth with eyes of faith? Will he see it as merely a temporary blessing from God, but not something that is worthy of his hope and his trust and his affection? Or will he see it with his sin-stained eyes and neglect God as he looks to his wealth? For his peace and his security. Well, look at what the text tells us in verse 3. It says that Abram journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. We're talking about chapter 12 when he first came into the land of Canaan. Between Bethel and Ai to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And what does he do there? Does he walk past the altar that he made the first time because now he has material wealth? Nope. It says, and there Abram called upon the name of of the Lord. What does that mean? What just happened when Abram calls upon the name of the Lord? It means that Abram found this altar that he had built before he went to Egypt, before he became rich, and now being rich, he still sees that he needs God, and so he stops and he worships the Lord, which is a declaration of dependence. I need you. Abram's been blessed with great wealth, but he hasn't let this earthly wealth cloud his vision. He hasn't, he hasn't let it cloud his vision. He's still seeing with these eyes of faith. And through eyes of faith, he knows that though now he is physically rich in the eyes of the world, he is still, apart from God, spiritually poor. 
And so he calls out to the Lord. He worships God. He's declaring that he needs God and that his trust is in God. He's not distracted by this material wealth that he has or that he thinks that he needs. He's not distracted from worshiping God in faith. A Christian. I wonder today if you see the necessity of living daily in dependence upon God, regardless of the material wealth that you have or that you think you might need or want. I wonder today if you're walking by faith, by seeing material wealth with the eyes of faith, eyes that communicate to you that the material possessions that we see and they have are no replacement for a healthy relationship with God. Eyes of faith which lead us to trust what God has said about material wealth rather than looking at them with those sin-stained eyes and then grabbing hold of that material wealth as if that is our hope, that is our security. Abram chose to keep depending upon God regardless of his status of material wealth. Abram was walking with eyes of faith. The second truth that I want to share with you is this. Living with eyes of faith, church, means seeing the value of pursuing peace over personal privilege. Living with eyes of faith means seeing the value of pursuing peace over personal privilege. All this wealth leads to some issues in Abram's life and in Lot's life because we also see that Lot's got a lot of stuff, too. Both of them do. In verses 5 through 7, we see that this conflict, this strife starts to arise between Abram and his nephew Lot. They both have a lot of animals. And the land is only so big where they're at. And there's not enough land to support all of these animals. Look at the text. Verse 5 through 7. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. Here's our potential problem. Our potential for strife for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So you got the people who are already living there and you got Abram and Lot. And there's already strife arising between their herdsmen. And it's getting ready to come in between Abram and his nephew Lot. So now Abram is faced with another choice. Isn't life full of choices? Always. Do I walk past this altar and say, I don't need God anymore? Or do I stop and I worship the Lord? What do I do now that there's this potential strife between me and Lot, my nephew? How's he going to respond to it? Well, he could tell Lot just to get lost, right? He could just say, all right, Lot, you're gone. See you later. He could have said, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me pick the best of the land. You can stay, but first let me pick what I want. And you can have the leftovers. That could have been what, Lot, uh, what Abram said as well. I mean, think about it. After all, Abram's the uncle. Lot is the nephew. Abram's probably older than Lot. He's definitely, Abram definitely has a higher standing in the family tree than Lot does. He has some personal privilege here. He has every right to play the card of personal privilege. He could even say, hey, listen, Lot, God promised me this land, not you. So get lost. Or you can have the leftovers. But Abram doesn't choose that path. Why? Because he wasn't looking through sin-stained eyes. He was looking through eyes of faith. And eyes of faith see the value of pursuing peace over personal privilege. What's the text say in verses 8 through 9? It says, Then Abram said to Lot, 
let there be no strife. And we see the choice that Abram's made. Potential for strife. Abram says, no, let there be no strife between you and me. He's pursuing peace. And between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. That word separate is important. Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, I will go to the left. What choice did Abram make? Well, he chose to trust God with his future and pursue peace. Instead of forfeiting peace and trying to take his future into his own hands by fighting Lot for the land. He trusts God with his future and pursues peace. Friends, trusting God with our future helps us not hold on so tightly to our rights that we fight people in the process. Trusting God with our future allows us actually to lay down our rights for the sake of peace with others. Just think about a couple of examples just from everyday life. Consider siblings dividing up an inheritance. I mean, that's something that happens all the time. One person in that family might think he has the right to a certain part of the inheritance, and perhaps he does. But maybe he chooses to lay aside that right in order to pursue peace. And that choice is only going to come from eyes of faith. Eyes that see the value of pursuing peace as of greater value than personal privilege. Consider an even more of an everyday thing. For those who are married, think about an argument between a husband and a wife, right? The wife thinks the husband is right and the husband thinks the wife's right, right? No. said that wrong, didn't I? I did that on purpose to make sure you're paying attention. <laughs> it would be an argument if that was the way they were thinking. The husband thinks he's right and the wife thinks she's right. And they can both hold tightly to their right to be right which will lead to more conflict, or they can see with eyes of faith and lay aside that personal privilege of the right to be right, and for the sake of peace, just trust the Lord with the result. But I want you to notice here that that choice to lay aside personal privilege could be all other sorts of examples in life, but that choice to lay aside personal privilege for the sake of peace is rooted in trusting God with the, with the future. If I'm trying to control the future myself, then I can't lay aside my rights. But if I trust the Lord with the future, then I can. It's rooted in faith in God's Word. God's Word, think about that first example. that says that we have an inheritance in heaven that's far greater than any inheritance we could ever have on the earth. And so, even if we didn't end up with it, at the end of the day, who cares? I've got something far greater waiting on me in heaven. Or think about that second example. The truth of God's word, trusting what God has said. God's word, which says that real love does not insist on its own way. And God's word that says that God will exalt the humble, but he'll bring low the proud. See, brothers and sisters, I just want to ask, is there a way that God is calling you to lay aside your personal rights in order to pursue peace? With someone else. And if there is, then ask God for the faith. God will help you have the faith that you need to trust him with your future so that you can obey him and lay aside personal rights. So we don't have that power in and of ourselves, but God will give that to us. So you pray and ask the Lord to help help you. God, give me that faith. To trust, my, trust you with my future so that I can pursue peace over personal privilege. Abram chose to pursue peace over personal privilege. He was walking with eyes of faith. 
I want to share with you a third truth about living with eyes of faith that we see here in this passage. Truth number three, living with eyes of faith means seeing spiritual danger when it is hidden behind a veil of physical attraction. Seeing spiritual danger when it's hidden behind a veil or curtain or a covering of physical attraction. This is another truth about what it means when we live with eyes of faith. I don't know about you. Actually, I think I probably do because we're all pretty much the same. But I know this is true about me. Whenever I sin, whenever I find myself choosing to step outside of God's uh, realm of blessing and care for me and I choose to make my own way and I choose sin, I, I, I never do it because that sin looks terrible and destructive. I don't go, wow, that sin right there looks like it's going to destroy my life. I think I'll choose that. No, that's not why I choose sin. That's probably not why you choose sin. Why do we choose sin? Well, the reason I choose sin sometimes is because I look at that sin and I go, ooh, that looks good. I don't look at it and go, ooh, that looks terrible. That looks like it's going to bring destruction to my life. I go, hmm, that looks, that looks nice. That looks like it's going to please me, bring, bring some kind of pleasure in my life. It looks like it's going to meet some kind of desire that I have. You see, every day we're surrounded by spiritual danger. We're surrounded by opportunities to sin, to step outside of God's blessing. And these temptations are almost always, if not always, hidden behind a veil of some sort of physical attraction. In other words, sin looks good on the outside. It does. Otherwise, we probably would just say, oh, I don't want that. But why do we say, hmm, I don't think I'll, I'll, take, I'll take that path? Well, because it looks good on the outside. But what do we find when we get to the inside? It's full of destruction. Sin is always full of destruction. Notice what happens next in the text. Verse 10 says, and Lot lifted up his eyes. The key phrase in this passage and Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw. Now, what did he see? He saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. Now, remember, Lot's had, Lot has lots of animals, which means he has a desire for a fertile land. He lifts up his eyes and he sees something that looks good. What he sees is something that looks like it will satisfy this need and this want in his life. But then the writer here gives us a clue that not all is as it appears, and it never is when it comes to sin. Note that little parenthesis there, verse 10. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, all of a sudden, we got these two places, Sodom and Gomorrah, just thrown in there. Like, are we expected to know what those are? Well, if we've read our Bible, yes. But if we haven't, realize that this was first written to the people of Israel. It was written after these events took place, and they knew exactly what was meant by Sodom and Gomorrah. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The Israelites reading this would have been familiar with the geography and with the history. The land Lot was looking at included this land of Sodom and Gomorrah. Say, so, well, wait a second. I thought it's a good land. It's well watered. It looks like it's exactly what Lot needs for his herds. Why then did later God destroy it if it was such a good land? Well, it wasn't so good. 
You see, in a couple of verses, we'll see that Lot wasn't seeing through the veil of physical attraction. He wasn't seeing the spiritual danger that lurked in that good-looking land. His eyes were open. He was seeing, but he was seeing with sin-stained eyes. He wasn't looking with eyes of faith. Verse 11 through 12 tells us what Lot did and then in turn tells us what Abram did. Verse 11 and 12. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley. All right, that's what looks good to the physical eyes. And Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. This is the second time in this passage that we've seen the word separate. Abram told Lot to separate yourself from me. And now the text tells us that they separated from each other. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, I said that as we walk through isn't really the Old Testament, we want to always ask what's the big picture that's going on here and what's going on just right here with the details of the story. So let's take just a second and look at the big picture from a big picture perspective. This is a clue. This word separate separation is the clue that Lot would not be the adopted heir of Abraham through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed. It's tempting to think, oh, man, Abram's wife, Sarah, is barren. She can't have any children. God's promised to make him into a great nation. Well, I guess it'll just be Lot. Abram will adopt Lot into his family because Lot's dad has died and he's his nephew. And then that's the one through whom the promise is going to come. But this word repeated separate separation. We'll see it a third time in just a minute means, nope, this is a clue. Lot's not the one. There's someone else coming. We don't know who. We don't know how because Sarah is barren. But someone else, the promise is not going to come through Lot. So that's what we learn from a big picture perspective. But then we zoom in on the details here, and this separation is a clue that Lot is choosing to step away from the blessing and protection that God has promised to Abraham. And another clue that Lot is choosing to walk away from God's blessing is the word east. It says that Lot journeyed east. We've already seen this several times in Genesis that this word east is often a signal that somebody is making a bad choice. Somebody is stepping away from the Lord. God's judgment is often in view when we see this word east. Remember um, that when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, they were kicked out of the east side of the garden. They had rebelled against God. They were kicked out of the east side. Then when Abram, excuse me, we're talking about Abram, Cain. Then when Cain killed his brother Abel, Genesis 4 said that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So God removes Adam and Eve out of the east side of the garden. And then Cain sins and he goes further east. It's a, it's a literary clue that we get this word east and we get this word east to help us know a bad choice is being made. And now Lot chooses to leave the land of promise and journey east. But just in case we're still wondering whether or not Lot has made a bad choice or whether he's chosen wisely, verse 13 makes it clear. What's it say? Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And that's where Lot's heading. That's what he has chosen. He's inching closer and closer and closer. See, friends, Lot is not walking with eyes of faith. He's seeing, but he's blind to the spiritual danger that is there in front of him. And I just want to say that that's a very real danger. Because as we've been told, Lot is going, uh, God is going to destroy Sodom. You see, Lot may have lifted up his eyes in Genesis chapter 13 and seen a well-watered land. But several chapters later in Genesis 19, Abram is going to lift up his eyes and he's going to see that same land. But it's not going to look like the well-watered land that Lot sees in Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 19, verse 27 through 28. 
And Abraham went early in the morning. So this is later on. Abraham went early in the morning to a place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. This is the land that Lot has chosen. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. That's what's coming for this land. But Lot's looking through eyes that don't, they don't see that, that spiritual danger. He's blinded to it because he only sees the surface level physical attractiveness of this land. But it won't be long and smoke's going to rise from this land like a furnace because God's judgment is going to be poured out upon this sinful place. Brothers and sisters, we must walk with eyes of faith so that we can see the spiritual danger that lurks behind the veil of physical attraction which covers over sin and the temptation. In the Garden of Eden, Eve saw the fruit. It looked good. She didn't eat it because it looked bad. It looked good to her eyes, but it led to destruction. And now Lot sees the land. It looks good, but it's going to eventually be destroyed. So I just wonder... What temptation is dangling before your eyes today? What temptation is dangling before your eyes today? Will you see it with sin-stained eyes which blind you to the spiritual danger? Or will you see it with eyes of faith which allow you to see through the veil of physical attraction? Which allow you to recognize the destruction that sin brings. That destruction that's lurking in the shadows. Living with eyes of faith means that we see through that. And we see the spiritual danger that lies behind every temptation. No matter how good it looks on the outside. Let me share with you one last truth. Truth number four. Church family, living with eyes of faith means seeing God's promises as the best possession we can have. I want to end on a good note. We've got to talk about Abram. I mean, Lot makes a bad choice here. He's blinded to the spiritual danger. But what about Abram? What we learn in the last few verses of this passage is that living with eyes of faith means that seeing God's promises, um, is seeing, excuse me, seeing, uh, seeing God's promises as the best possession we can have. When we, when we have eyes of faith, we, we don't care as much about the things of this world anymore. If only we can have the salvation promises of God. Lot chose the land that looked to be best. Abram trusted God with his future and let Lot get Lot picked first. So where did this leave Abraham? Well, what does this leave Abram with? It might appear that Abram got the short end of the deal, but if we look with eyes of faith, we see this. It leaves Abram in the very best place anyone could possibly be, and that's right in the middle of God's will. And it leaves Abraham with the very best possession we could ever have, and that's the promises of God. The salvation promises of God. The unfailing promises of God. Abram's turn is now. He gets to lift up his eyes. Look at verse 14. He's waited on the Lord, and now the Lord said to Abram, After Lot had separated from him, there you go, that's that third time we see the word separate, it's an important word. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, he tells Abram, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent, and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. You see, Lot lifted up his eyes. Abraham also got to lift up his eyes. 
But when Abram lifted up his eyes, he was lifting up eyes of faith. And what happens as a result? He gets to be the recipient of God's very good and great promises. This is an expansion of the promises that God made to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. You remember those promises? We talked about them at the the beginning. This is an expansion of that. There we learn that God would give Abram's offspring this land. And now we learn that he's going to give it to them forever. That word is added to the promise. It's going to be an eternal inheritance. And there we learn that God would make Abram into a great nation. And now we learn that his descendants, his offspring, will be so many that you won't even be able to count them. Friends, these are gospel promises. These are good news promises. The way that God's going to give Abraham more descendants than you could ever count is by sending a descendant named Jesus, the promised deliverer. And through him, people from every nation, language, tribe, and people are going to be rescued from their sin and are going to become spiritual descendants of Abraham. For everyone who places their faith in Jesus is the Bible tells us, the son of Abraham. Paul wrote this to the Galatians. He said, know then that it is those of faith. He's talking about faith in Jesus. It is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the number of these people whose faith is in Jesus will be like the dust of the earth. Because John tells us in the book of Revelation this. He says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. Listen, that's the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham of people, descendants that no one can number. John, looking at the picture of heaven, says, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb. And so what Abraham is receiving here are gospel promises, which be which would be fulfilled in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are the promises that Abraham is seeing with eyes of faith and that he's receiving through faith, that he's being blessed with through faith. And he views them as far more valuable than what meets the physical eye. Listen, Lot may have got the better land in the short run, but Abraham got a much better possession. He got the salvation promises of God. You see, by faith, Abraham was making his choices based on what God had said rather than what he could see with his physical eyes. But I have to ask this question, because maybe you're wondering it today, because I keep talking about these eyes of faith. How do we get them? How do we get these eyes of faith? I mean, where do they come from? You just come to church enough times, and all of a sudden you have these eyes of faith. You pray enough times, you read your Bible enough, you try to do some good things, and then God grants you these, uh, these eyes of faith. Where did they come from? You go to somewhere you can buy them? No, no, no. In fact, these eyes of faith have already been bought for us. They've already been purchased for us. So where do we get these eyes of faith from? They come as a gift from God when he removes the blinders from our eyes so that we can see that we're stained with sin and that we desperately need for God to rescue us from our sin. And God removes those blinders by his grace and we see that we stand in desperate need of God. 
to rescue us. And then we see by God's grace that Jesus is the one who can rescue us, that he can save us because of what he's done on the cross. And Jesus went to the cross and he died. He was dying in your place for your sin. He was dying in my place for my sin. He was enduring the wrath of God that we should endure. And he was doing that so we wouldn't have to. So that then when we come to him in faith and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, then God gives us eternal life. He gives us this free gift where we get to live with him forever. But until that day comes, as long as we're here on the earth, we also get this new set of eyes. We get these eyes of faith where we can live in a way that brings God honor and glory. And it's all a gift from him. And so we don't have to walk in sin with sin-stained eyes. You don't have to do that. If you've been walking with sin-stained eyes, you don't have to do that anymore. Because through Christ, our sin is washed away by the blood of Jesus. And we get the joy of walking with eyes of faith. That means we get the joy of walking in daily dependence upon God, not being distracted by material wealth. We get the joy of pursuing peace. We get the joy of being protected from spiritual dangers that are all around us. And we get the joy of possessing these salvation promises forever and ever and ever. So let me ask you, have you believed upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation? If not, perhaps today God is lifting the blinders from your eyes. And he's helping you see maybe for the first time that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And I want you to know, God wants you to know that Jesus is that Savior. And so will you believe in what Jesus did on the cross to rescue you from your sin? Many of us here have trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. And praise the Lord for that. He gets all the glory and the honor and the praise. And so if you have trusted in Christ alone, if you have been given these eyes of faith, are you looking at life through them? Are you using them? Listen, my contacts that I wear, they don't do me any good if I leave them sitting on the bathroom counter every morning. I will walk through, I'm going to walk through life bumping into everything because I can't see real well without them. They don't do me any good if I don't use them. Let me ask you, are you using the eyes of faith that God has given you? Are you looking at life? Are you looking at your situation in life through those eyes of faith? We've been given this new set of eyes. And so we can and we should make choices based on what God's word has said, not just what our physical eyes can see. Yes, faith means trusting what you can't see, but it doesn't mean trusting what you can't know. We know what God's word says. We know that God has called us to live in holiness, and we know that he gives us the strength to live in obedience to him each and every every day. We know that his word and his way is best. So let me ask you one more time. Are you walking with eyes of faith? Pray that we are. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage in your word. Thank you for giving it to us. And thank you for giving us the opportunity today to study it together. God, I pray that the truth of your word would sink into our hearts and penetrate very deep. That you would expose any sinful way in us. God, if there's someone today who has never believed in Jesus, Lord, I pray that right now they would confess their sin to you. And ask you to save them, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus has done the work to rescue them. Father, I pray that they would call out to you and say, God, would you save me today? 
take away my sin-stained eyes and give me eyes of faith. God, you promised that everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. And God, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, I pray that you would reveal some area of our life where maybe we're not walking with eyes of faith. We've put back on those sin-stained eyes. And God, I pray that we would confess sin to you and that we would ask for your strength to help us. Walk daily. Live daily. Making choices based on what you have said, not just on what we can see right in front of us. And God, will give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.